Welcome to Trace on the Case, the podcast where we talk about unique cases, economic damage claims, financial investigations, and various aspects of white-collar crime. My name is Paul Rodrigues, and I'll be your host. My partner, Deb Temkin, and I have over 60 years of experience between us in doing what we love to do, tracing money and tracing the people. We've seen it all, and in this show, we're going to be taking you below the surface, deep into our world, so you can learn how we work and how we've solved some very complex problems. Because let's face it, the most tricky cases require bringing in the experts. This is Trace on the Case. We have a tremendous episode ahead of us. We are happy you're here, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Paul Rodrigues with Trace on the Case, and today is episode number 10, and we are interviewing uh, attorney Garrett Galster uh, with regards to the different types of intellectual property matters that we see out there. Um, and with that, Garrett, uh, could you please uh, introduce yourself and share your experience in the field of intellectual property law? Sure, Paul. How you doing? I'm um, great. I, uh, my name is Garrett Galster. I graduated from Marquette Law School back in uh, 2006 and started uh, practicing in the in the intellectual property field uh, immediately. As a matter of fact, while I was in law school, um, I, I went to law school to be uh, an IP attorney, specifically a patent attorney. Uh, prior to law school, I was an engineer and I worked for Motorola. Um, designing uh, video architecture for use on cell phones uh, and back then it was uh, it was mind-blowing that we would someday have video on cell phones and now today I, I don't think uh, anybody can do without it so <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, so generally speaking I've been in the uh, IP world for for going on 20 years um, next spring will be 20 years including my legal clerkships and so forth um, but I've prosecuted hundreds of patents and trademarks, um, advised on trade secrets, and registered copyrights, and also engaged in both litigation proceedings as well as administrative proceedings related to uh, patents, trademarks, and copyrights and trade secrets. Excellent, excellent. Um, so how would you, um, just kind of just a general overview, how would you explain the importance of intellectual property protection to, to a layman? Sure. Uh, intellectual property really um, provides businesses and individuals with a competitive advantage. Uh, the reason to have intellectual property is to give yourself a competitive leg up uh, as it relates to the type of business that you're in. For some businesses, it's branding. In, in that case, you'll wanna focus on trademarks. For some businesses, it's technology, in which case you're gonna to wanna to focus on trade secrets, if you can keep your, your technology a secret, uh, or patents, if you can't. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and the, um, when it comes to creativity, creative works, uh, film, and so forth, I see the writer's strike it might be over now, and, in California, so that's good. Uh, and when it comes to creative work, you're, you're going to want to focus on uh, copyrights. 
So, uh, okay. but in, in any event, in each of those scenarios, generally you're setting up some fences to protect yourself and your business operations from uh, encroachment by competitors. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So let's, um, I guess let's start with uh, patents here. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what, what exactly is the definition of the patent and, um, and their importance and, you know, what types of patents are there? Uh, sure. Um, a patent generally is a document that's issued by the United States government that um, allows the owner of the patent to stop others from making, using, selling, offering for sale, or importing the patented invention. Now, the patented invention may include uh, a device, a machine, a composition of matter. If it's those types of things, you're going to be dealing with a utility patent. Okay. A patented invention, a patented invention might also include an ornamental look of something think of think to yourself of like a um, new design for a toothbrush for instance uh, toothbrushes have been around for centuries and so you're probably not going to be able to get a patent on how a uh, toothbrush is constructed necessarily the materials but you might get be able to get a design patent on how it looks so a design patent is directed towards the ornamental aspects of of a thing of a product uh, there's also plant patents uh, that, and you heard that right. There's patents on particular types of plants uh, that are engineered and so forth. There's various requirements on those, um, but primarily utility and design patents are where the bulk of the patent work is is done. Um, but like I say, uh, there is a misconception out there that patents provide the owner of the patent with the ability to go ahead and make and sell his or her product. And that's not the case. Uh, patent is a negative right. Um, it, it allows the owner to exclude others uh, from making, using, or selling the patented invention. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. That's uh, it's an important it's distinction. I I think we've had that discussion before in the past as well. And with the with the plant patents, um, is that like the genetic or um, genetically engineered plants, or would would that cover? you know, when they're doing, um, gosh, what is it? Uh, you know, they typically they would cross breed plants or, or, um, you know, make hybrids and grafting and that type of thing. Or is it? Yes. Yeah. So it covers both of those. Um, and there are certain requirements based on, uh, asexual versus sexual reproduction and, and so on and so forth. But like I say, the plant patent arena is very niche. Uh, matter of fact, I don't, I've never, uh, prosecuted a plant patent. Um, the there's just to give you an idea of how many plant patents there are. I think there's less than a hundred thousand plant patents that have ever been issued in the United States. Um, and right now we're I think we're closing in on twelve million utility patents. Um, okay. It, and uh, uh, maybe eight hundred thousand design patents or so. So you're you're looking at you know um, a, a very small uh, small niche, uh, valuable markets, uh, just not one that a ton of people practice in. Yeah. Yeah. And with, with, uh, obtaining a patent, um, I've heard you use in the past, uh, the word novel, it has to be novel, um, you know, and that type of thing. I mean, it, it, it can't be, uh, um, essentially similar to something else that's already out there, um, either being sold or, 
patented by somebody else. Is that correct? Sure. Yeah. There's various patentability requirements. Um, and what you're referring to there is uh, there's a novelty requirement, which means no one can have done or disclosed uh, exactly what you're doing um, previously uh, prior to your filing of a patent application. Um, there's also a requirement of non-obviousness, which means uh, it, your invention, your claimed invention in your patent cannot be simply an obvious variation of something that's been done before or disclosed before. Um, there's other requirements, one being utility. Uh, your, your invention has to be useful, has to have some kind of use. Um, and uh, so, and it also can't be an abstract idea, natural phenomenon, that sort of thing. You can't get a patent on lightning or um, a mathematical algorithm like E equals MC squared. Um, those kinds of things are precluded from patentability. Okay, okay. Um, let's uh, move on to uh, trademarks. Um, you know, what are those? How, you know, and, you know, how are they used, I guess? Sure, yeah. Trademark is any word, uh, slogan, device, color that a person or company uses to distinguish itself as the source of a particular product or service. Um, some popular trademarks that might come to mind are Nike or Nike's swoosh. Those are two different trademarks. It's name, N-I-K-E, versus the swoosh uh, used by Nike. Uh, those are trademarks that Nike uses on shoes and other clothing and so forth. Um, and you get trademark rights by using, in the United States anyway, by using those marks uh, in your business in connection with the selling or offering your services for sale. Um, and really, interestingly, trademarks are not part of, um, they're considered by some academics to not even be intellectual property because they're more of a consumer protection mechanism. Uh, think of yourself walking into a store, even a grocery store, where you're trying to be buy a food product. And you can imagine that if anybody were able to slap the word Oreo on their cookies, um, it would be very confusing to the consumer as to where these cookies were coming from. And so the branding aspect is allows the consumer to make efficient consumer decisions um, and be confident that the product they're getting has a relatively consistent quality with the last time they purchased it. And it doesn't, doesn't mean the quality is is good necessarily, although most brand owners would try to strive for good quality, uh, but it just means that it's relatively consistent. So, okay. uh, but trademarks, trademarks, uh, like I say, you get rights just by using it, um, but you can then register your trademarks uh, either at the state level or uh, with the federal government for protection. Okay. All right. And, and where would uh, like, I think it's uh trademarks and trade dress i've heard that word before sure yeah trade dress are uh there's two types of trade dress uh one is product packaging another is product design uh, there's different protectability requirements based uh for each but think of a coca-cola bottle or um the grill on the front of a jeep vehicle uh th those types of things are are trade dress when you see it you you recognize that it is a Coke bottle or a Jeep vehicle. Uh, another one is the BMW grill on the front of a BMW uh, vehicle. Those types of things are trade dress. Uh, however, you could even have trade dress in something like a restaurant decor. Um, 
as long as the um, decor has become distinctive of, of your uh, services. And so um, so that's what trade dress is, is usually product design, packaging, and so forth. Gotcha. All right. That was, uh, that was a good comparison there. The, um, what about copyrights? Uh, that's another type of intellectual property, correct? Yes. Yeah. Copyrights are a, um, much like patents, copyrights are a product of federal uh, law here in the United States. Um, copyrights protect any work of expression uh, that is what's called fixed in a tangible medium. So it has to be a creative work with some minimal degree of creativity, and it also has to be fixed. Uh, that means it's got to be written down. It's got to be recorded on tape or video or a cell phone. Um, what isn't fixed? Uh, an example might be an impromptu dance. If I am waiting for the crosswalk sign to go and I break into an impromptu dance on the corner of the street, uh, that dance is not protected by copyright, um, even though it might be very creative. Um, so, uh, but once that copy, once that, uh, creative expression is, is fixed somewhere written in a poem doodled on my notepad, um, once it's fixed, it's protected by copyright law here in the United States. So it's creative works. Um, generally there's literary works like books, poems, and so forth. There's, uh, three-dimensional sculptural works. There's audio visual works, uh, phono records, um, otherwise known as songs. Um, but songs have a multi-layer component to them. They've got sheet music, which might be written by one author. It might have um, lyrics written by uh, their author. It might have sound engineering that goes into it. So uh, songs, especially modern day songs, are, are layered in the copyright complexity. Okay. All right. And um, how do you um, end up getting a copyright? Do you start to use it or you register it, uh, you know, similar to trademarks or how does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, copyright protection subsists or starts from the very moment that that expression is fixed. So right now I'm going to take my notepad and I'm going to draw a creative design and it is now copyrighted. Done. Okay. Now, when 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 we say copyrighted, it is protected by copyright law in the United States. The registration process through the United States Copyright Office, however, is recommended to be done within 30 days of first publishing your uh, your work. So, if if this doodle was published on the front page of Forbes magazine, um, then we would want to record that, we want to register that copyright within 30 days to maximize our ability to obtain damages to the extent that anyone were to ever copy it. Um, so that's uh, uh, that's when it starts. Um, the registration process is recommended and a copyright registration is required in order to go march into court and sue somebody for, for infringing your copyright. Okay. Would that be the same then for a trademark? Uh, like you were saying, you could do it through use, but if you did go through the process of uh, registering that trademark, does that do the same thing then as well? That would start the uh, period for damage? Uh, or? No, no. So trademarks are different. Um, and it's funny, all, all of these uh, various um, 
avenues of intellectual property protection have their own nuances. And so it's very important to to sort of flush out each individual uh, situation and facts. Um, and of course, this this podcast and any of my comments here are not any any legal advice for anybody. But from from a trademark perspective, um, once you start using the mark is when you're protected and you are not required to register your trademark in order to file a lawsuit. Um, you can file a lawsuit uh, based on what are called common law trademark rights. Um, so if I sell widgets and I sell widgets under a certain brand name and I sell them in Southeast Wisconsin, and someone else starts selling in southeastern Wisconsin, selling widgets under the same brand name, I would likely have a cause of action based on common law trademarks at that point. Okay. All right. I would think, though, that it would be a good prudent business practice, though, to, you know, register, you know, it as well, because um, it would maybe clear up any confusion as to who created it first. Yes, that's a good point. And also, once you register it federally, you have coast to coast United States protection, United States and its territories protection. So um, if you do not register it, then your common law protection generally extends only into the geographical markets that you operate in. And so if I sell widgets only in southeast Wisconsin, um, uh, let's say northern Illinois, uh, if I don't get a trademark registration and someone else sells widgets in California and Washington and Oregon, I might not have a valid common law um, trademark case against them. So federal registration is important if you want coast to coast uh, protection. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was a, that was a very good distinction that you just made there. I wanted to move on next then to uh, our last one, uh, trade secrets. Um, what, what are those and, and what do you do to protect them? I guess. Yeah. Trade secrets, uh, generally speaking, are a creature of state law um, as opposed to federal law. And uh, there is a federal cause of action now, but um, it, trade secrets relates to information that is independently economically valuable uh, to those that could use the information. And it's subject to what are called reasonable efforts to maintain its secrecy. Um, so you might think of a certain food recipe, the classic trade secret that everybody refers to as the Coca-Cola recipe, right? Right. Uh, no one's ever, no one's ever been able to duplicate the Coca-Cola recipe. Uh, rumor has it that the, that the recipe is kept in three different safes uh, in, under three different combinations by three different people. Um, and so that to me is, is not only reasonable efforts to maintain secrecy, but that's extreme efforts to maintain secrecy, but maybe not, maybe it's not extreme based on the value that it likely holds. Um, in any event, uh, trade secrets themselves are not protected. Um, in other words, the information is not protected. Uh, if you go to in the patent world and you get a patent and Joe Schmo on the other side of the country infringes your patent, um, Joe Schmo doesn't have to have any particular uh, knowledge of your patent in order to engage in patent infringement. In other words, just by doing the actions that constitute patent infringement, then he would he would be liable. It's called strict liability. Yeah. Trade secrets, on the other hand, are protected from uh, misappropriation. So someone has to misappropriate your trade secret in order for there to be any sort of uh, violation 
of your trade secret rights, quote unquote. Um, so that, that's, a, that's an important distinction that the, the information itself is not subject to protection. And why is that important? It's important because if you choose to keep information a trade secret, such as a secret recipe, it does not protect against others from independently creating the same thing. Or for that matter, it doesn't even prevent others from reverse engineering your product. So yes. whether it's a, yeah, go ahead. I was actually going to ask you that, you know, the reverse engineering. So, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, sometimes I, I just need to breathe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, trade secret, really there's a, a balance between determining when you want to maybe keep something as a trade secret and when you want to maybe file for a patent uh, on your invention. And one of the biggest key factors in that decision is whether or not your concept, your invention, your secret formula, whether or not it is reverse engineerable and how long it would take to do that. The longer it would take to do that, and the more expensive the reverse engineering process, then generally we're going to tip clients towards trade secret protection. Um, if, if your invention or concept is a widget that can be reverse engineered by an engineer in two days, well, then you're going to want to go towards a patent because the patent is going to give you uh, at least some period of protection before someone else can make you sell or offer for sale your, your product. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a good lead. And then I think here to some of my final questions, what, what is the periods uh, for protection, whether it's a patent, a trademark, copyright, et cetera, what are we looking at typically? Sure. Yeah. That's one advantage of a trade secret um, is that it can last forever as long as it's secret. So, and as long as it continues to have um, some economic value to it. So the recipe for Coca-Cola can remain a trade secret forever. Um, that's that's an advantage there. Patents uh, are good for, utility patents that is, are good for 20 years from basically from the application filing date. And I say basically because there's other factors that can influence it, but generally speaking, 20 years from filing there are some maintenance fees, however, that are due. In other words, in order to keep your patent alive, you have to pay some fees to keep your patent going. And those are government fees. Um, and usually there will be some service fees with some professional to do that for you. Design patents are good for 15 years from the date they issue. And uh, uh, plant patents are, uh, I believe, it's a good question. I haven't looked at a term of a plant patent in a long time. Uh, I'd have to look that one up for you, yeah. but it's somewhere in that, it's somewhere in that realm, 14 okay. to 20 years, somewhere in there. Uh, again, there's, there's renewals on utility patents, but not on design patents. So, uh, you don't have to, once you get a design patent, there's no more maintenance fees or renewals on it. Gotcha. Uh, trademarks. Yeah. Trademarks are generally good. Uh, they can be good forever. As long as you continue to use the, the trademarks in connection with your products or services, um, However, federal registrations for trademarks uh, are required to be renewed after you get a trademark registration at the five-year mark, at the 10-year mark, and then every 10 years thereafter. So at 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, um, that's when those are renewed. Uh, copyrights are 
uh, <laughs> the, the duration of a copyright has been um, uh, reformulated over the years. Uh, most recently in 1978, um, there was a uh, copyright term adjustment that was done. Uh, but generally speaking, for creative works, um, where the author is a person that is a natural person, a human being, uh, the term of the copyright is the life of the author plus 70 years. So the life of the author plus seven zero years. Okay. Um, from if the, uh, if the um, author was a corporation, because a corporation or company can be an author of a work if, in fact, the work was created by an employee within their scope of their employment. So if you work for, you know, GE Medical, let's say, GE Healthcare, and you write a manual for one of their machines, that manual is copyrighted uh, as an author by GE. Um, and then that manual would be protected for the life of the author plus 95 years. So um, you get a little bit more then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't say life of the author plus 95. It's 95 years from, from the date of publication because life of the author, the GE might continue for hundred hundreds of years. So it's not the life of the author there. It's just 95 years. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, so that's sort of duration. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, that wraps it up. And uh, it was very good, Garrett. Um, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you uh, potentially in the future as we roll out additional episodes of Trace on the Case, and we'll be discussing intellectual property law. And in the future, we will be covering uh, litigation, how you defend uh, these uh, uh, intellectual property assets and um, damages that might result and how they would be calculated and so on and so forth. So we'll, we'll have uh, a lot more in our series of podcasts with intellectual property law. We thank everybody today for listening, and please stay tuned for our next episode, Trace on the Case. Thank you for listening to another episode of Trace on the Case. If you've enjoyed the show, there are many more on the way, and we encourage you to subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help the show. To learn more about myself, Deb, and Trace as an organization, visit traceforensic.com. And thank you again for joining us. We're very excited to talk with you again next week, so bring a friend.